Hi there, welcome to GMI, the Guitar Music Institute podcast episode 31. It's been some time now since I've actually interviewed a musician, or at least someone who makes all of their income out of music, but today we have just that. His name is Ant Law, and what an incredible guitarist and musician he is. Ant's going to be discussing a huge range of topics in today's podcast including moving to London, making a career in music in one of the hardest places to make music, let's face it. And Ant's also going to be talking about his past and current projects, and it makes really fascinating listening. And that's coming up real soon. Before that, I'd just like to say thanks for listening in. We've got a huge range now of podcasts for you to listen and download. And for all our listenership, we also offer a discount from the GMI shop. It's gmiguitarshop.com and there you'll find a wide range of books, tutors, audio and video lessons. There's a lot of free things there, but should you want to buy one of our paid products, just by being a listener of this podcast, you can gain a 15% discount on everything you buy just by putting this code GMI01 that's capital GMI with the number 0 and 1 at the discount section as you go to checkout. So, that little advert out of the way, it's now into the interview with the very amazing Ant Law. Ant, it's great to have you here uh, talking to GMI. Fantastic to see you. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, my pleasure. So, you're up in Edinburgh. This I am. Is, you're... I think you're only the third interview I've ever done where I'm actually sitting face-to-face because normally they're all over the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what brings you up here? Well, it's actually a little sort of two days off kind of stopping in the middle of a wee tour that we're doing. Um, we is Trio HLK, um, a trio that I play in. I'm the L. And um, Who's the H and the K? The H is Richard Harold and the K is Richard Cass. So there's two riches which can be confusing. We just sort of go for last names. And um, how would you describe the music? The music is is rooted in contemporary classical music. Um, so it's very, some of it's very dense and very rhythmic, but obviously we're playing with sort of rock or contemporary, you know, sort of rock band kind of instruments. Um, and there are bits in the pieces where there are solos. So there's a bit of jazz going on. Um, probably it's most primarily sort of contemporary classical or jazz, but it might sound like sort of really, really hectic fusion to the uninitiated, you know, who isn't familiar with contemporary classical stuff. So this whole idea of fusing different forms together, Mm. is that all we're left with, do you think, as contemporary musicians? So how would you describe yourself... As a musician, uh, what, what label? I know we all hate labels, but yeah, no, what label would you give yourself? No, they're very useful. Um, yeah, so the first question uh, is that all we're left with sort of, um, yeah, co- trying new combinations of things. It's, it's very interesting. I, I don't really know. I mean, I heard, I, I went to a folk session last night and even hearing these really old tunes, you know, with just fiddle and accordion, but the interpretations and the way that the musicians play them uh, probably subtly changes over time and gradually, you know, I I don't know how far back um, the Celtic jigs and reels tradition stretches. It's probably 
hundred thousand years maybe. Yeah. Quite a while. Quite a while, exactly, <laughs> yeah. But um, maybe the tunes that the musicians choose uh, uh, sort of evolve gradually over time and things that at one point would be regarded as quite forward thinking become tradition over over time and I don't really know, it's probably... Do you think because they are so old that they have a timelessness within them or something very pr- primitive or... That, that that rings with the human spirit in some Possibly, way. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's something about the drone in music, like from the bagpipes or, or in Indian music from the tampura, that drone, just one one pure tone at the bottom of the music. Do you think that's got something to do with people going into a sort of state of uh, trance? It may be rooted in, in sort of trance music and religious music, yeah. Um, I don't really know. Well, that's something that uh, you, the listener, can... Uh, well, you can't phone in. I was going to say phone in. You can't phone in. But you can maybe write in and tell us a little about it. Yeah, if anyone knows, we'd, we'd love to hear. So so tell me more about uh, the group and where you're playing. Yeah. Uh, so in Scotland, how many uh, shows do you have? Well, uh, I think we just actually have two more. Um, we did the Queen's Hall in May. That this was in Edinburgh. Yeah, in Edinburgh. Yeah, I, there are lots of Queen's Halls everywhere, I guess. But um, yeah, we, we did our big Edinburgh gig. Edinburgh's the sort of very much the home of the band. So that was our main sort of album launch gig. And um, we did Shetland on Saturday. That was a real treat to head up to that. So, sort of. so for all those that don't know, Shetland's as far away from, London, uh, from Edinburgh as London is, uh, did you go by boat? Did you take the 14-hour ferry we, or did you fly? We we did fly, uh, although I hope to get the ferry one day, even if I, I'm a bit seasick. So basically, folks, they did take a hit on the fee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if anybody wants to look at how that ferry goes, just go on YouTube, look up Shetland Ferry, and literally the boat goes up and down from front to back all the way. Wow, zigzagging <laughs> around. <laughs> and and uh, there's no trees up there, is there? No, very very few trees and very small horses. The the Shetland ponies, of yes, course. Because uh, I don't know if the wind the wind affects the trees. I don't know if the wind affects the ponies and uh, the people. They're not small. That's, that's no, the people are very much normal size. It's not very much. Lots of uh, Viking paraphernalia everywhere. So so you're up with Shetland. You've done yep. Edinburgh. Uh, we did that, and then um, by, probably by the time that people are listening to this, we will have done a, a gig in uh, Gerloch and also Cromarty. And um, the yeah, I mean our website's got all the details. I can't remember much more than that, but we hope to be back a lot. So bit of a, a, a testing question: Is this music to be listened to? Or is this music to be played? Wow. Well, um, I certainly think I've never, ever tried to make any music that isn't to be listened to. Um, but I guess sometimes when you're trying to do something new and interesting, you try and you, you, you can come at it from your instrumental level. You think, I need to do something new on the guitar. Um, and so maybe... If we get too down, too far down that rabbit hole, you get into into the stuff that's so technical, but it doesn't sound good. You know, where the actual sort of guitar playing is off on one path to the right, and the music's going on this other path to the left, and they diverge. But I, I really think, I mean, we've put so much work into this music, and like I was saying, it is very 
very dense. If anyone wants to um, listen to it, I guess they could head to triohlk.bandcamp.com. We will certainly put all the links up for, yeah. for not just your own website, but uh, all your current projects and past projects. Um, perhaps and you could actually tell us a little about your background, mm. because we've dived straight into your work, which is fantastic, but it's a big world out there, lots of players. Can you give us sure. a potted history of your life yeah, in yeah. around two minutes? Yeah, sure. So I was born in Saudi Arabia. My parents were teaching out there, so that was a bit of an unusual upbringing. Um, but it was just a British international school, so everyone spoke English, even the kids from all over the Middle East and, and the world. Then eventually I made my way to Edinburgh Uni, which is how we came to know each other a little bit. Um, and I did a physics degree. Wow. And then I, I loved Edinburgh, so I stayed around for a few years afterwards, finding my feet as a professional musician, whatever that means. Um, for me, it meant playing in a Kaylian covers band, which was it was absolutely amazing for me um, to be able to play, to step into um, musical situations with folk musicians, you know, playing all the, all the beautiful Celtic traditional music. Um, I mean, I'm no specialist, but as I say, it was my treat. And um, eventually I, I thought it would be good to sort of have an adventure and I moved to London to seek my fortune and uh, I'm very much still seeking. And is it true that the paths are paved with gold? <laughs> Not mine, but uh, yeah, yeah. But I, might, I mean, there's enough, you know, maybe copper or aluminium uh, rather than gold to, to pay rent for me, which is, a, you know, I look upon that as a... It was a milestone for me, and I'm still pleased to be able to get by. Absolutely. And for people out there, perhaps, uh, when I say young, you're young, but younger musicians, Mm. people who want to get into it, it it seems, it may seem in their heads, a huge step to go to their nearest major city. Mm. Um, How do you go about doing that, and how do you manage to pay the rent and just live Mm, mm. and get established? Maybe you could throw some light on that whole yeah, area. Yeah, well, it's there's no denying it's hard. You know, I remember years ago, people would say to my parents, you know, make sure he doesn't become a musician. And genuinely, I, I, I kind of know where they're coming from because, you know, I'm 34 now and I, I would like to be coasting at some point soon. But sometimes it's real hard work, you know. Um, and re-establishing yourself in a new city, for me... It was it was absolutely mad. So, like I said, uh, on the weekends, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, I'll be playing function gigs, corporate gigs, you know. Um, and I saved up that money, and I moved down to London, and I was actually crashing with my girlfriend at the time, so I didn't have to pay much rent, if any, for the first few months, and I'd saved up some dosh. Um, and I went to jam sessions every night. I think I practiced really hard, so I could go down and try and you know, it makes me feel sort of a bit embarrassed to say it now, but I guess to say, you know, you know, I can, I'm around and I can play. You know, let's let's meet some folk. And so would that would would that be a, a really important thing for a young person to do to to establish themselves within a scene? Absolutely, I still think that most of the um, the musical music industry, um, maybe all of it, um, in terms of the mechanics and behind the scenes is based on personal relationships. Social media and all the, the platforms like YouTube are incredibly useful, definitely for reaching your your audience. But in terms of you know, uh, booking people for bands or for, for work, in the end, there's a lot of hanging out, um, for better or worse, as, a, as a, being a freelance musician. So 
you want to know who you're going to be hanging out with. You know, you want to know because the gig takes about, you know, two hours of playing music. But what about the five hour drive or, you know, the shared hotel rooms and things like that? So um, how long did it take you to start actually picking up gigs? Well, I had a few friends there, but it was very, very quiet um, for a while. And I was doing loads of reaching out and answering adverts on Gumtree and Star Now and UK Music Jobs and all that sort of stuff. And then eventually I met a drummer at a jam session who was touring with the musical theatre show called Thriller Live. And it's like a Michael Jackson show, basically. And the old guitar player on that was moving on to a different gig and so he put me in touch with the MD and I auditioned and things like that and then eventually got asked to, to do that so all of a sudden it went from being completely uh, to doing very little to doing eight shows a week I guess the classic story of feast and famine can you maybe just give some insight into mm. the skills yeah. needed to play in that arena mm. perhaps is it all that is cracked up to be yeah, I don't really know what it's cracked up to be exactly. I mean, I, I guess you mean some people really think of that as the high, uh, you know, sort of high level kind of work. It's kind of monotonous. It does cut across your day, doesn't it? You, you don't, you can't really have a life out yeah. with that, can you? Yeah, I mean, if you are touring, um, if you're touring with a show, you're you're away from home the whole time. I think if you live in, for example, for me, I live in London, so lots of the other musicians playing in the West End in the theatres there. Um, it actually works really well because you've got every day free until maybe about 6.30 when you head over to, to, to the theatre, play the show, whatever it is, and then come back and you might be home by 10.30. I think in some ways that's actually really good. You know, if you have a family or something, you've got the whole day free to sort of... But you do have matinees, don't you? Yeah, um, often matinees. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of people depping things out. So so I'm only a dep. I dep on a few shows in London and that suits me fine. Um some of the shows have performances on Sundays. Some of them don't. But um, I think it's... Uh, Did they also do a Wednesday? Sometimes Wednesday, yeah. Lion King, which I dep on, does a, a matinee on Wednesday. And uh, I think others... Hamilton might have a, a matinee on Thursday. I have done some depping in mm. uh, West End shows and tours in my time. Mm. And I think... Um, I love the idea that I've, I've done that. I can do that, but... It's not for the faint-hearted, is it? Because you're, it's not like you're getting used to a show so much that you know the lines. You just cling up and you put the book down and you play. You've really got to be on it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think because you're supporting the show itself, there might be a dancer waiting for the guitar lick that you're about to play who's going to respond to it, or, or a singer singing in unison with you. So I think having, having a, being able to keep your nerve um, under slightly pressurised situations is good. There's one myth which potentially I can dispel um, for anyone who's not good at sight reading. Um, I'm I'm rubbish at sight reading. If anyone wants to book me for any high profile sessions, I'm sure I can get through it. By the way, but uh, anyone <laughs> listening, but no, I'm not. Um, it's not my specialty by any means. So were you given the music beforehand? You're given the music beforehand exactly, and you have to play things so perfectly. I mean, errors are fine, but you have to know, you have to be able to get through it. You know, maybe one or two errors a show, if it's not on really crucial things, are fine. So, you know, I've heard people saying, oh, yeah, you know, if you make an error, you never get invited back. Well, you know, I make errors and I haven't been chucked off yet. I've been deafening on some shows for about eight, nine years now. Um, It's not to say that it's encouraged and it's not to say that if you 
play really badly, you'll get through it. But also with the sight reading thing, you, in order to play something really well, you can't be reading it. You have to know it. You have to own it. You know, like you know the riff that you play the best. What other skills, Ant, do mm. you think you need to work uh, in theatre? Yeah, in theatre. Um, playing as a, as, a, as a musician. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, playing with a click is something that's probably good to get used to. So, what is that? So that's uh, so. I mean, I knew, you know what it is, of course. But it's where you have in ear monitors and you'll have a metronome going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, like that, and you have to be able to to hear where the bass drum is and the and the bass notes are. Maybe they are slightly in front of that click or, or slightly behind it, and you have to be able to play really consistently, ideally. Um, with the other musicians and with the click. And do you find that you're uh, predominantly playing to click or do you have to follow a conductor? So conductor thing, that's another skill. Which um, So I dep on Thriller and Lion King and in Thriller there's very little following the conductor but on Lion King there's quite a lot of following the conductor. So it can be very helpful. If you're doing anything that's more orchestral, um, I did a few gigs with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra um, a few months ago and that was all conducted. Um, actually there was some stuff on click but most of it was conducted so so that's a skill I think you have to accept that there's a there's a bit of largeness with the beat you know when there's a click going one two three it's very small you have to be really needle like in your accuracy but when things are conducted the beat is large sometimes the conductor will you know the musicians will play when when the conductor's hand moves right to the bottom and sometimes the the musicians will play when the hand's moving up and or back close to the top after the beat. So I think we have to sort of accept and understand that the beat can be really enlarged in that context. Do you find that different conductors have different styles? And indeed, there is a different conducting style between showtime and orchestral work. Because that's yeah. how I've found it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't done that much orchestral work. Um, I guess maybe with shows things um, are slightly slightly closer to everyone playing on the actual downbeat because there's a click there you know shows will have some click and some conducting so yeah maybe it's closer to that whereas with orchestral conductors things can get really really uh, a lot more open and you were talking about orchestra orchestral uh, parts within the uh, the shows in, in London and how, how big are the orchestras well, on um, I can only speak about the ones I've, I've I have experience of. So normally it might be about maybe about ten musicians or something. Uh, That's just in my experience. And there are loads of shows, and there are, there's new ones come in, and there's old ones closing. So if, you know, this isn't this is by no means hundred percent accurate. But the ones that I do on regularly, I do Thriller that has six musicians. Lion King has about twenty. Um, Jersey Boys had about maybe 12 or something. From that initial friend or acquaintance, the drummer, which mm. you started getting work from there, mm. that's how a musician would then, if they do a good job, and they're, you know. Yeah. What, what do you think of the non-musical attributes that someone needs to, to uh, get into a scene? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it comes back to the, the, the personality thing, you know, because there are... Maybe there are loads of people who are who are really good, but who who aren't maybe that nice to work with. And and the reality of, of um, you know being a musician is that you, as I said, you're really hanging around a lot. So you kind of want to hang with nice people, and that's why people 
that's why people book their friends on these things and it's I initially thought that was a bit of a bad sort of nepotistic thing you know sort of like um, a bit cliquey but I, I understand it now a little bit more because is it a trust thing as well maybe? it's a trust thing yeah because musicians there's a lot of people who are maybe a little bit unreliable and you know you just want people to turn up you don't want the best guy you just want someone who's going to turn up not be too much of an ass and you know play pretty well and be nice to hang out with I think um, so I mean I you know I, I can I don't always say the right thing you know sometimes I say what I'm thinking when I shouldn't maybe so that's something I'm learning to try and <laughs> in a, a sense Ant, you're saying that the non-musical aspects of how a, prefer, a, a musician holds himself mm. can and sometimes be equally as important if not more important, not more important. Yes, as long absolutely. as they can do the work absolutely the and from that you would assume you in your experience that people would have a chance of getting more work absolutely and, and do you find that um once you got into the london scene that uh, other areas of work opened up to you because you were actually working in quite high profile um musical productions yeah i don't really know um it's in the end it is such a mysterious industry isn't it you know i i've always tried to be as versatile as i as i could you know trying to trying to make sure that i could do all the different things i wanted to do um but it's it's really hard to say why anyone you know every now and then someone gives you a ring and you uh, you don't recognise the number and you think how did they get my number and they say oh such and such passed me your number and you haven't spoken to that person in a few years so it's really hard to say but I think you know I think if you put yourself out there like you know anyone who if, if anyone sort of googles me or something hopefully they'll see that I'm you know doing Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and website you know I. I take that part of myself, you know, as, as something as a um, something that I have to do, a necessary evil, you know. Let's change tack, but mm. just before we change tack, can I just ask you about moving around in London? How how does that work? It sounds a total nightmare. Yeah, what do you mean moving around? <laughs> uh, actually just getting across London and with, with as a musician with gear and all that. Yeah, yeah, it. right. Well, um, so with the shows and things, or, or some clubs, they've got backlines. Yeah. So you just have to take your guitar and hop on the tube or hop on the bus. So that's fine. But, um, you know, I was doing my tax return the other day and I, I looked in the column that was for taxis because when I do have to take an amp, um, I just get cabs and it adds up to, you know, thousands of pounds. But um, if I was to buy a car and run a car, the petrol, the parking, the MOT, the road tax, the insurance, those sort of things, I think when I calculated it, it would still be more than than the money I spend on cabs. So sometimes you sort of have to accept that you are going to spend a fair bit on gigs. But hopefully in London, a lot of the gigs, some of the gigs pay really well. You know, when I was young uh, up here, I was talking about the Kaylee and cover span, and I was playing, you know, the fee might have been around 100 quid, 110, 120 quid or something. Whereas in London, the sort of standard fee for a similar kind of function gig or corporate gig or wedding or whatever is probably more, is closer to sort of 250 as, as a sort of minimum. And um, that can go up quite sometimes quite significantly but it's okay to spend 20 or 30 quid on a cab you know if that's the fee but if the fee is 100 and you spend 30 quid on a cab it just doesn't work if you do want an easy life moving around become a harmonica player exactly yeah a singer <laughs> or uh, yeah trumpet player or something yeah I just want to uh, ask you about your experiences because you were talking there about Twitter and Facebook and you know everybody does it all musicians do it but the reality um, and correct me if I'm wrong the reality of musicians is we're kind of uh, looking out for number one. <laughs> um, 
Does it have any effect at all, Twitter or Facebook? I mean, other than other musicians occasionally keeping an eye on that, are, are we able to connect easily enough with the people who aren't musicians and who may become emotionally attached to our music in some way, so much so they might mm. actually attend a gig or even sure. buy something that yeah. we produced? Well, that, that's it in the end, isn't it? It's We have to understand why we are using those platforms. So to a certain extent, uh, well, it's knowing our, our target audience isn't it so if sometimes i'm posting and i want to let other musicians know maybe like that i'm around i'm doing stuff because i you know i want to play and and the way to play is by playing so if i let people know that i'm playing they'll see oh okay this guy's playing he's probably all right let's try him out on a gig so part of my audience is is musicians but in the long term if you're trying to do creative music and original things like you know the composition you played me earlier um musicians are probably going to be working and also they don't want to come to a gig. You have to find a way of reaching punters. So that's there's two different strands there and um, it's probably good not to get them too jumbled up. Sometimes I'll I'll do a post or something and I'll make a little musical joke, you know, and that musicians will understand and I think, actually, no, this is not really, this is not helping the uninitiated understand this piece of music, this little silly joke about about you know musicians so it's yeah it's good to understand that distinction and also understand precisely what you're trying to do with the platforms as well you have of course your own website and and we will be listing that anyone listening can come to the guitar music institute website at www.guitarmusicinstitute.com and uh, you'll find out everything about ant how good and effective or how effective is that website do you get much traffic? Do you get many contacts from it? Mm. It's a good question. And actually, I have no idea. <laughs> There's a, I can look at the analytics, I think, on the, on the Dynamod portal. That's the hosting um, sort of agent that I use for my website. And I, and I could and probably should look at that. But what I more sort of aim for with my website is just to, it's my space where I can say what I'm doing. Uh, what I sort of want to bring to the front, you know, we'll all we'll, 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 real estate. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah my, my little estate. my little plot. Exactly. So, it, um, you know, people will always be telling you what you are. You're a jazz guy. You know, you're a musical theatre guy. You know, you're this, you're that. And the website is is my chance. If I want, I could just have one song and one page, and that would that would be it. And then I'd say I am this, you know. But um, I mean, I more just kind of keep up to date um, with. The different projects I'm doing in my sort of favourite kind of creative endeavours. I guess at this point, and I'd like to see what are the main strands of your work just now. What sure. projects are you working on? Yeah, well, so I mentioned Trio HLK, which is a really uh, exciting band for me. I play eight string guitar in that, so that's really fun. Wow, um, I find it hard playing a six string, and you're on to eight. Mate, me too. <laughs> six is more than enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Trio HLK is one. Um, probably my my the most important creative project to me is my quintet um so i guess it would be called the ant law quintet in the tradition of jazz bands being named after the leader yes and you use uh you, you make use of pedals quite a lot on that don't you yeah yeah i love Can, maybe pedals. tell us a little about that because a, a lot of jazzers uh, not naming any names but like myself <laughs> uh, just want the simplest 
uh, set up possible. But interestingly, sure. you, you've got this technological side to it, which looks really fascinating. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly appreciate a pure sound um, as much as the next man. But I guess um, in, a, in the average concert, you might play two sets, you know. And so for me, I'm always striving to, to sort of tell an interesting story or a varied contrasting story to um, with lots of different, you know, Textures. Yeah, exactly. Different textures. So, so you know, I might want to do a few songs clean. I want, might want to do a few songs with distortion. I might want to do a few songs without any delay or reverb. And then I might want to do a few that are absolutely swamped in huge, huge space, you know, courtesy of the Strymon Big Sky reverb or something, you know. Um, available at all good shops. Yeah, exactly. They are pricey, you know, amazing, but, but, but very pricey. So yeah, I, I, I love them, and I think playing in some smaller groups like the trio, HLK, um, it's a real challenge to to fill all that space. It's not saying that you have to, to fill that space, but the space is there, and sometimes it's it can be filled, so it's having the tools to do that, you know. And, and how do you uh, manage in terms of time with your various projects, because you'll do you do any teaching at all? I started to teach recently, yeah. I, I, I teach at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama, so I do uh, maybe about a sort of day and a half every uh, every month there, just teaching jazz guitar, one-to-ones, the students there on the degree programme. That's really, really fun. I enjoy that. But as I mentioned, I do some theatre work, so on the average week I might go and do a Lion King or two, depping for the regular musician on, on that, and I might do a, a show on Thriller, uh, or two or three or so even. how hard is it to balance out all your time man because that's, that's yeah that's like with most musicians i would assume they've got a lot of plates spinning in the air at one time that's it yeah yeah it is um it is hard and you know if i if i play eight shows a week uh for a month i'll i'll earn a good income for that month but if i don't uh, if i play one show a week then i might do loads of nice creative things because I have loads of energy because I'm not playing uh, in a theatre every night so there's always that trade-off um, so is this a, a, a core part of your creative force is to try and find the balance between earning a living and being creative absolutely yeah and and in London you know it is expensive to live and sometimes uh, someone told me the phrase sprinting to stand still or when they say, you know, what have you been up to? And you think, God, I've been busy doing nothing. You know, so you've been busy just sort of getting by. Um, but I'm happy to say that, God, it might have been about 10 years ago that I moved to London. And I think I've, the last sort of few years, I found a bit more of a groove where I'm kind of comfortable. My wife and I went on holiday for a week this year, you know, so <laughs> there's enough there's enough sort of spare dosh to, to do the odd nice thing like that. And, and, uh, and you know, release albums and fun creative projects when they're, that's an interesting point about um, having a holiday with the family. Um, do you feel that that is something that musicians have to sacrifice, in a sense, and a sort of normal or a sort of existence that many people in perhaps the West would assume would be normal to go holidays and things like that? Does the creative force take over from that and almost subsume that? Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's another very interesting question. Um, I think we're in charge, really. Um, and, you know, if you, you can bet your life that the moment you click click on buy for the flights, no matter how expensive they are, you can bet your life that someone's going to call you within a few hours asking you to do the best gig ever. 
And, you know, I think you just have to be prepared for that and uh, you have to be prepared to take a hit. But certainly for me, um, you know, I, I do try, I work as hard as I can. <laughs> I, I, I work really hard. And um, so downtime is important. And if you don't have downtime, you, you burn out. I mean, most people wouldn't, you know, have, probably have two days off um, or at least one day off. But musicians, you know, sometimes we're just sort of full blast the whole time, which is really exhausting. And I think, um, yeah, but, but in the end, we are in charge. Uh, I'm self-employed, you know, uh, most sort of freelance musicians are, I guess. And, and we have to make those decisions. We have to get good at the time management and it's not easy. And yeah, you know, we'll miss gigs. We might have to miss important things, you know, wife's birthdays, uh, you know, um, kids things and, and even, you know, you might have two, two gigs going on on the same day that you can't do. Um, so, yeah, time management is a constant challenge, as is energy management and uh, just staying happy. And what do, what do you do out with of music? Do you have anything? Is there any time for anything else out with of music or is it just 100%? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, recently I've um, done something I always wanted to do, which was learn to scuba dive. Right. Um, so that was that was well. It was I quite... can put you in touch with a very good scuba uh, diver. Please, here yeah, please do. I'd, I'd love to dive up here. The water's not too cold. Um, so yeah, that's a more recent hobby. Um, I mean, you know, I like I like drinking beer uh, <laughs> <laughs> or wine. Um, no, I, uh, I I have a PlayStation Three as well. Although that I haven't played that in ages. I'm hoping there'll be a little quiet time in my diary at some point where I can get on with Metal Gear Solid again. What do you want for the future, Ant? I mean, how, yeah. it's, it's a, a terribly big and open question, that, but what yeah. would do it for you? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, it, and, sorry, Yeah. how has your perception changed of what you want as the years have gone by? Wow, okay, so there's two parts to that. So the first part, I think, is, is this, like, what, what do we choose, what does success mean? to us you know so because people are always telling you here's how to be successful and then I think hang on out you don't know what success means to me so you know my favorite guitar player is is really not very well known probably doesn't earn that much money um, but playing like him is my definition of success who is, who is that guitar player? Well, I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to say because of what I've said yeah um, you just said it but um, <laughs> I mean a few of yeah, I, 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 you know, I shouldn't really, yeah. Um, but so, so my def, my definition of um, success would be to make these creative projects, my quintet and Trio HLK and those kind of things, sustainable. So to mean that I can really um, the whole composition. I can recording. do that. I can make a living from that, and then yeah. I can do those things better because I'm not yeah. going to be. You know, practicing for three hours in the morning, then going to do a Lion King matinee and then Thriller in the evening, quickly get some sleep, then get on a flight up to do a thing with orchestra or whatever and then running back to do a function and then a day of practice before going into the studio to record my quintet. You know, that's a disaster. What I'd like to do is, is to, I guess, generate more income from the creative stuff. Do you think that's the dream of most musicians? I don't know, actually. I, I no, I don't think it is. I think a lot of people are happy to um, to play, um, to maybe to play as a sideman, and I really, really enjoy that as well. Like even you know, I keep on coming back to them, but the Lion King and Thriller and things like that, or, or 
playing other people's music um, in jazz bands and things. Um, I really, really enjoy that. And um, none of those things are my band. So, so I think a lot of people are really happy to do that and they don't need to have their thing that's, you know, the John Smith thing or, you know. So I, I don't think it is necessary. So, so now that I've given you a little bit of time to talk about think, has your perception of mm. what you want changed at all or is it? Yeah, I don't even know what it used to be. I mean, it, it definitely has because at one point it was like, can I make a living from playing? And it, and then and then I managed to do that, and so that was great. And then I and then I guess now it's to be more creative, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely changed, and I guess you know um, it would be nice to earn loads and loads of money and buy a massive house in in Shetland. You know, and just get my own private jet with and with, with wind cheaters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Make sure. I can... <laughs> well, it's been fascinating talking to you, and it's great to see you again. And yeah. also, just for all the people out there, whether they're in music or not in music, uh, want to become musicians, it's great to hear it from the horse's mouth. <laughs> Someone who's actually uh, working in one of the great centres of music around the world and has managed to establish himself whilst at the same time retaining that creative projects. And, and what is the immediate future for you in terms of creative projects? Tell us, maybe just remind us what's going on just now. Sure, and sure. What's maybe coming up in the near future? Yeah, sure. Well, the Trio HLK album is out and we're, we're sort of mid midway through the tour. Is that iTunes? That is on iTunes, yeah. Oh, um, we'll the best for that then. Great. I mean, the best place you can buy it directly from us on Bandcamp. Right, um, okay. So I'll give you the link for that. It would be triohlk.bandcamp.com. But my, uh, my quintet album is going to be out towards the end of this year. It's my third album. Um, and I'm really, really pleased with this one. I think I've got I've got lucky this time round, um, and I, I can't wait for that to come out. So we'll look uh, forward to that. But there's something before we end this interview, and mm. I want to talk to you about, and that's one of your actual publications, book publications. <laughs> yeah. Um, Third Millennium Guitars. Yeah, it? sure. Yeah, and it's it's about the tuning. Um, when I was at college, there was a guy who completely retuned the guitar. Uh, I've never came across anyone who's done that before, but it addresses something that I've always scratched my head about, mm. which is why the guitar is tuned in fourths from string six to uh, four, three, yeah. and then it's in a third and then a fourth. Yeah. Do you, do you know why it's done like that, and can you then tell us what you've done? Yeah, 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 sure. Well, I, it, it's hard to say, I guess, because the instrument's been around for so long, but I think, I think things being not too difficult, is is part of it so being able to grab a few open chords c a g e d just with a few fingers and have some nice big resonance to accompany folk songs you know which have been around for, for years and years and years hundreds of years thousands of years even um so i think that's that's how standard tuning came around um i started to play music that ha has a lot of chord changes in sort of via jazz and if you're not playing things that stay in one key, you don't need to have open strings as much. And and even if you did, you couldn't really sort of use them because the key is constantly changing. So um, I thought it would be cool to be a bit of an individual and make up my own tuning. And um, obviously it's not really my own tuning. It's really close to standard tuning, but I, I tune in perfect fourths. So that's down from the high E. I go E, B. And then G flat, D flat, A flat, E flat. Wow. And uh, 
it just means that if I take my E shape and I move it across the strings, rather than changing to have an A shape and then a D shape to get the same major triad chord, um, it means I, I actually can just use the same shape. So let's say I learn a dominant seven voicing, then I can just move it across immediately instead of having to learn three additional shapes. Major seven, same thing. I've got one standard tuning, there are three. Minus seven, I've just got one standard tuning, has got three. So it, it's also more intuitive as well as having to crunch less numbers and information on the neck because you can just move an idea across the guitar without having to sort of adjust back every time you get from the G to the B string. And and have many people bought into this system? Sounds amazing. Um, yeah. Do you manage to sell many of these books? And... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't... I can't remember. There's a small sort of trickle of, of income from the publishing company, Mel Bay, in America. Um, Alan Holdsworth said if he could tune... If he could start again, he would tune that way. Um, and a few other notable people do it, like Stanley Jordan, Tom Quayle... Um, there are probably loads more, actually, but um, yeah, I don't know. It hasn't sort of swept swept the world yet. I, I remember calculating that if, if uh, half of the people on Earth bought my book, because I thought that half would probably want to use standard tuning, if half of the people on Earth bought it, I would earn something like $386 billion from my cut from the yes. publisher. Uh -huh. um, so I, I haven't quite reached that amount yet, but <laughs> okay. I, hopefully soon, you know. Do you know why... Left hand, right-handed players play the guitar on the left hand. I've often wondered about that. Yeah, that's weird. I Isn't don't that know. weird? Yeah, get people to write in and tell so us. So maybe what we should do is start up a project to completely retune the guitar and everyone's got to move over to their stronger arm. That would be good, yeah, yeah. But which hand do you think is more important? Because I think it's the right hand that lets guitar players down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with I that. I don't know. Unless they're they're all going on to ten finger tapping <laughs> nowadays. Oh man! So uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and hearing your thoughts on the business. It's it's just great to to, to meet someone who's making a success doing what they love. Nice just, one. Just to end on, is there any? kind of advice you could give young people or anybody they don't need to be young who's wanting to get into the music industry wow i think you've got to work hard and be patient and you do have to put yourself out there you have to shouting loudly can be the only way to get heard these days so uh you know be really good and let people know but also be not be a weirdo yeah, try not to be weird. No one wants to, to hang out with a weirdo. Right. Okay, well, well I don't mind. all the links about everything that we've talked about will be on the site. It's been great talking with you. Thanks very much for being part of GMI's podcast. My pleasure. So that wraps it up for another podcast. I hope you really enjoyed listening to Ant. Another incredible insight into the life of a working musician, what a musician he is. Remember to go into the GMI website. That's www.guitarmusicinstitute.com. You can find videos of Ant playing there and links to all his online material. And finally, just to reiterate that offer that was made, or a little advert at the beginning of the podcast, if you want to check out the gmiguitarshop.com, we have a widening range of great guitar products for all levels, all abilities, all styles, all ages. And you can get 15% off any of the paid items by just putting these 
letters GMI, that's all capital letters, followed immediately by a zero and a one, that's the numbers, at the checkout discount area. So 15% of anything that you want from the gmiguitarshop.com, but also there's a lot of free material on the site as well for you just to download. So hope to see you over there and thanks for being part of this. We've got some great podcasts coming up in the very near future. So from me, Jeff Rocky, bye for now. Mm-hmm.